0: Welcome to the No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord, editor-in-chief of No Film School, and this week I'll be chatting with director Otto Bell and producer Stacey Reese from the magnificent documentary The Eagle Huntress. When I first saw the Sundance favorite at TIFF this year, I wrote that I might have seen the perfect documentary. It's got all the elements, incredibly charismatic protagonists, majestic landscapes, underlying social issues, and a classic David and Goliath tale. In this case, our David is actually a 13-year-old girl named Aishal Pan, who's determined to learn the dangerous art of hunting game with eagles in the frozen wilderness. And the Goliath is the 12-generation-long eagle-hunting tradition that has never, ever allowed a female to participate. Fortunately, her father, a champion eagle-hunter himself, agrees to train her despite objections of the community elders. The story behind the film is almost as dramatic. I interviewed Bell at TIFF about the Herculean production efforts that his small crew underwent to shoot the sweeping film in the mountains of Mongolia. Today's conversation picks up where we left off. Otto Bell and I are joined by producer Stacey Reese, who came on to shepherd the project to completion when Bell already had an amazing story on his hands, but had run entirely out of resources. Reese was handpicked by executive producer Morgan Spurlock, due in part to her impressive track record with films like Suited, The Diplomat. And Lena Dunham's "It's Me, Hillary." So, hi, Stacy. Hi, Otto.
1: Hello, Liz. Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Welcome. Um, We have already had your uh, cinematographer, Martina Radwan, or one of your one of your camera people on the show. And Otto and I met at TIFF and did a long talk about the amazing production behind this amazing film. So I want to start today with kind of the point at which Stacy got involved. So Otto, can you first kind of catch us up with where you were at the stage when you kind of reached out?
1: I was about two thirds of the way through the film. we just finished the Eagle Festival. I was flat broke. Actually, I was worse than broke. I was in debt to the bank. And Morgan Spurlock, I'd met Morgan Spurlock. he had seen the first 10 minutes of the film and you know really turned everything around and found us a place to edit and introduced us to financiers and all sorts of things and um it was clear i was it was i was go- i was going back to work and it was for a day job and it was clear that we were going to need you know a really great producer to come on board and and bring a bit of law and order to what had been kind of a a passion project, and um, and so I, I was I was looking around for for a great producer, and it's funny because both Morgan Spurlock and my uh, lawyer Mark Simon both suggested Stacy mm. independently, and um, I, I put a lot of store by that, you know, but but I respect both those Folks, enormously. So when um, when they both suggested that I should meet Stacy Reese, uh, I thought, okay, great. Well, you know, <laughs> they must be right, <laughs> and they were.
0: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and so you two met. What was that initial meeting like?
1: Where was it?
2: We met at the Mercer Kitchen. That's
1: right, with but Sharon. I, Sharon. I, right, but yeah. I
2: had met so I um, this sort of came about Otto was in Mongolia filming the Winter Hunt scenes and Mark Simon and Morgan and I were all at Sundance and I was there with a different film and ended up talking about this project that both of them were involved in and when we got back from Sundance I got this phone call from Morgan and he said come to my office I want to show you something and he showed me those scenes that Otto had shared with him and I mean they were captivating and Pond was so like compelling as a character and I was like I must work on this project and then Morgan made the introduction to Otto and very quickly after that I think it was the next week after I'd seen the footage Otto and I met with Sharon Chang um, our other producer at the Mercer kitchen and talked about the project and I basically think I said to them at the time like I'll do anything to work on this I was so um, interested in it. What was it that that grabbed you so? I mean I think that watching the what they what Morgan showed me was the scene and I it was the first scene that Otto filmed where Ashlepan is um, climbing up the mountain to get her baby eagle and to see a young woman so bravely you know scaling those peaks and the relationship with her father and I was really drawn to that story to their relationship to her fearless attitude and I felt like that was something that was a universal theme and could appeal to people everywhere, even though this was in another language in a country very, very far away. So,
0: then what happens next? You've got this amazing idea, you've got a bunch of footage, there's a lot of potential, Mm, mm -hmm. you get hooked up with quote-unquote the right people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's still no money. Like, How do you push the project forward?
1: Yeah, no, the money started coming in at that point as well. That was when we were in a position to bring Stacey on board. And um, she just brought a great deal of law and order to things that so she really took it by the scruff of the neck i mean look this was my first film uh you know to this day i feel bad about the state of the rushes <laughs> and the and the raw footage you know it was a it was a dog's dinner that i dropped <laughs> off on on in in, in stacy's lap and she worked exhaustively with um pierre takala our editor and adam sonnenfeld at, at um Warrior Poets at Morgan's Production Company, just to just to catalogue it. They undertook this incredible Herculean task of getting it all translated. Mm. She was running it. Um, Stacey was running a team of translators in Kazakhstan. Wow. I mean, like seven or eight of them um, working nonstop for months because I was pretty... Um, I was pretty uh, annoying probably um, in that I wanted like literally every scrap of dialogue and an interview translated just so we, because you know, I had so little idea what was actually being said a lot of the time, especially in the verite scenes. So it was, it was a big undertaking, I mean binders and binders of transcripts. And uh, Stacey, you know, she managed it all.
0: So Stacey, imagine. you were really hands-on, it wasn't that you came on to just be part of the distribution?
2: Um, no, I mean, it was, a, and it was a small team and it, it's a low budget film. I mean, I, I think that I've been asked this question a lot when we've, when we've screened it at film festivals that it's so big and beautiful and exquisite that people assume that it cost a lot of money to make. And it was a very small team in the field and it was a very small team in post. And, um, we all worked really hard on it and, and it's, you know, it's, probably one of the smaller budget films I've worked on. And um, I think it was that we, the thing that we all shared was that we all fell in love with Pan and her family. And we all were so motivated to come together and tell her story and tell it in the most authentic way that we could. And so... Um, and it was great. We we did the edit out of Warrior Poets and we got tons of support from them, yeah. from post-supervisor to assistant editor and both Morgan and his partner, Jeremy Chelnick's notes. And it was, you know, having that type of experience behind the project, I think it really benefited. So, um, you know, we were on a tight deadline too. We wanted to premiere at Sundance. We yeah. had to raise still 50% of the budget to finish and keep the edit going. So... Um, You know, I felt a lot of pressure. In fact, I just said to someone like, oh, this time last year, we were in that race for Sundance trying to find out if we were going to get in and raising money and finishing the film. And this fall feels very, very different. You know, the film's (laughs) coming out. We had our premiere. um, And so um, it feels very exciting a year later to be in this position. So since you
0: sort of brought us there, once you, you know, there's one thing that's finishing the film. There's this other film that's the year after. So what's what does everyone's kind of role in that? What does the producer do, or what did the various team of producers do? What does the director do at that point? What are the things that need to get done? Right now? No, like fr- like once the film's sort of in the can or almost oh, in the can. Oh, right.
1: Well, we spent a good deal. We blocked out the film. You know, we spent a good deal of time um, wrestling with, you know, the order in which we were going to tell the story. <laughs> and ultimately it was kind of circuitous as we actually just came back to sticking with um, a, a chronology, just sticking with the, the chain of events as they occurred.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I knew I wanted to start the film uh, with a sacrifice, I'd always had that in my mind. I wanted to start the film with a, uh, an old eagle hunter returning his bird to, to the wild um, but then from there we'd we jumped straight into telling Pan's story. We had the luxury of doing so because we were there when she stole the eagle and took that first step. And then everything sort of unfolded from that. And there's kind of this predetermined chain of events that right. pan goes through to, to become a huntress. So, it's not
0: like other films where you're really figuring out what your story well, is. Well, that's in exactly
1: post. it. Yeah, I, although we did, we did wrestle with a bunch of ideas. We did think about moving, you know, acts around and things like that. But no, it wasn't like, I mean, I... I when I was getting to know Stacy I went to see The Diplomat uh, her last film which is a cracker of a film
0: one of my favorites from <laughs> the year it premiered at Tribeca yeah yeah.
1: I, I, yeah I loved it uh, david holbrook did a great job with it and then um but I could see you know we talked a lot about that and she, and you know she talked about sort of well how do we get into that story you know mm-hmm. she's dealing with 50 plus interviews mm-hmm. and how do you how do you crack that narrative we didn't you know Although we we went through the due diligence of thinking about it, we did we we ultimately ended up just just going with the with the chain of events, yeah. Um, so that was one thing we would, we would talk about story a lot, um, and you know different scenes as well. So within once we had our sort of act structure, you know we would we would talk a great deal about about which scene and uh, would go where and how we would tell that story how much of ashle pan's femininity would we would we bring to the fore versus her the other side of her character which is which is quite determined and steely and getting that balance right um, I, I don't know what else did we get up to well i guess <laughs> what i was so really much.
0: asking about was less about the the editorial process I'm and right. more about once once there's a film once you've got enough of something to show to folks right. i think a lot of especially newer filmmakers don't really realize then there's almost as much work left as making the film itself. Oh, yeah, the whole thing starts right. again, doesn't it? And, of course, the right. producer I mean, has a huge part in that. So in your team, what, what were the sort of different roles and what were the things that you had to accomplish once the film was done?
2: Well, I think the first thing we had to accomplish is once we got in a Sundance, um, the big, it was getting noticed. I mean, yes, it's a big achievement to get in a Sundance, but lots of films get in a Sundance, mm-hmm. and our film was an independent film, and it didn't have distribution yet. And we, it was in the kids' category it was in the kids well. category, and it was yep. a foreign language documentary, and we were um, concerned that we might get lost and we want we had big plans for this film. and so um, you know, Morgan, I think this is like his true expertise. He's like, we need to get stuffed eagles. <laughs> and we should put stuffed eagles in the wow. seats at the premiere. And we should get, you know, real eagles that come to the festival with Ashopan so people can all get their Instagram moment. And so we plan this um huge event at Sundance, All of Us, where we um, had received an outreach grant from the Artemis Foundation, um, which is Regina Scully's foundation, mm-hmm. yeah. and that allowed us to bring Ashopan and her family to Park City. Which it, is no small feat, because no, they're in I mean, Kazakhstan. In, yeah. In, uh, in, Mongolia, in, in Mongolia. In Mongolia. In Mongolia, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so they came. We brought eagles. We had stuffed animals. We had pins. We had a gear. We had yeah. a big team of people. I and will say,
1: you getting those eagles there—that was a—that was a mission. Well done with that, because it turns <laughs> out, uh, you know, I was I was working with my with my day job, and it turns out that it's really hard to own an eagle in America, um, for for good reason. And obviously, the family couldn't bring their eagles from from Mongolia. So Stacey went on went on a mission to find eagles, golden eagles in America, and, and we ended up. You, you found the the Comanche people of Oklahoma, right?
2: Right, and they brought. Um, they the drove eagles. to
1: Park City and brought their birds. They they they're allowed to have them for religious reasons.
2: Oh but,
0: okay. um, my god! Like a thing you that, never thought you right. would do. I mean, that's what I was kind of getting at. But, but that like sort of a made producer, all the difference.
2: I mean, it really did. I mean, it caught. The attention of everyone. It caught the attention of Tom Bernard at Sony Pictures Classics and others. And our screenings were sold out. Wow. Um, there were tons of buyers in our first screening. It was so exciting. I mean, we had CAA representing the film, um, and we were, you know, very lucky. We made a sale. We made a a foreign sale as well. Um, and with that we were sort of off and running. But again, you know, then we still had more work to do because people think you get to Sundance, you saw your film, and you know, you're finished. But mm-hmm. well, that was- and as you was, mentioned, here
0: we are almost a year later and you guys yeah. are doing press here with me and you've been doing it all day. Yeah. And you, I mean, yeah. tell tell us more. What I mean, happens we, next? Um,
2: what did we do? I mean, we, we did a couple of things. We wanted to make some just You know, a few changes to the film. Daisy Ridley had come on as executive producer just days leading into Sundance. Mm. And um, we added some of her narration to the film. So that will be part of the um, theatrical release will be with her narration, which I think for a G-rated film that's really geared towards a family, it – you know, it's not a lot of narration, but it gives you the steps it takes to become a full-fledged eagle hunter. And I think for families with young children, it allows them to follow along in a in, a, yeah. in, a, in an easier way. Um, and we received a fledgling fund grant to do outreach screenings, which we're in the process of setting up with Sony as well. We've been at festivals around the world, which is enormous amount of work to, you know, get them all the materials and the prints and um what else have we been doing? We've been so busy. I can't. Um...
1: No, there's been an endless list of, of jobs. But I mean, I will say, just more broadly than that, having Stacy was really important to me because I was conscious as well that I was throughout all of this. I'm, I'm still a, uh, a man telling a young girl's story, mm-hmm. and having Stacy and Sharon Chang, our other producer, having, just. Surrounding the project with women and, and and listening for a woman's point of view, not only on the editorial side but throughout this process, has been really valuable for me. And uh, you know, stop. I, I think probably prevented me making a bunch of missteps. Or you know, uh, you don't. You know, you got to know what you don't know.
0: Did anyone give you a hard time about that over the course of this? Did anybody say, "Hey, no. weirdo, you're making a film about a young girl"? No. It was just
2: something that Nobody you felt said that, personally aware yeah. of.
1: Yeah, the same reason I had Martina Radwan, who you've interviewed, um, because my crew was male. Mm. And I was conscious that, you know, a young girl might not uh, open up as much to three sweaty English blokes <laughs> in, you know, <laughs> waterproofs. Then, so that's why Martina lived with the family mm. for a few weeks and brought back some wonderful verite, because about halfway through, so I'd worrying that I don't have those enough of the. We had a lot of nice, intimate moments, but I was conscious that we wanted more. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Stacey, you know, that carried through editorial. That's carried through through this whole rollout as well. Yeah.
0: And I feel like I in a way I already know the answer to this because the film is so charming and you want to believe in the characters, like you said, from the beginning. But <clears throat> a lot of the work you're talking about that happens After it's out there and after the rush of Sundance feels like it sounds like and I know it feels like a bit of a grind.
2: So how do you kind of
0: keep the enthusiasm up during that whole period?
2: I mean, for me, I feel like when I'm approached with projects, I really think about is this a project that I want to live with for the amount of time it's Mm -hmm. going to take? for it to be released. And that can vary. Like The Diplomat took five years to make. And never once in that process did I ever sort of lose the enthusiasm or lose sight of the, the believing in that film. And I feel the same way about this film. And I think it's really important, um, especially... I mean, I feel lucky I'm in that position because um, I get to develop projects that I care about and projects get brought to me that I really care about and I get. I'm lucky that I get to choose. But I think it's really important that you should work on things that you can live with for that period of time. Because again, so much of the work starts when the film is finished. And I think that the reason to make films is so those messages are out in the world. I mean, film is such a valuable tool for people as an educational tool. Um, And like, it's such a shame if you make a movie, and then it has all these great messages, and not that many people get to see it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important for that reason.
1: Yeah, two things for me. And I I really mean this, I I did have a deep sense of responsibility to make this film as big as it could be mm. to to do justice to the to the family that we met and and who are now part of my family going forward really so that that drives you on definitely and you know shame on you if you if you think it's a grind you know you're you damn lucky to make films mm. just generally not many people get to so there's there's no room for whinging like that, <laughs> um, and then also, uh, you know, another sort of coping mechanism for me was was my work was my day job, you mm. know.
0: So you kept the day job throughout.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 nice to have something to dive into, mm-hmm. you know, a, a separate sort of call it a distraction, call it another. You know, it's, it's nice to have a place to go, to, to throw yourself into, because then when you come back to your film, to the project, y- y- you feel fresh again, you feel mm. excited about it again. It's not all consuming. Um, that, I, I found that very helpful.
0: That's actually a great segue because I'm interested in both of your past and the sort of idea of a sustainable career in this industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, I understand, Otto, come from advertising and and t- some TV production, and yep. I, don- I know Stacy comes from the news and docs TV world. So I guess the first question is what um, what did you learn from your career history that you that you can bring into doc filmmaking?
2: I mean, for me, I came out of news. I worked for NBC News for 10 years. So I think I learned um, there how to tell a story, you Mm. know, how to find a beginning and a middle and an end and how to, you know, tell a compelling story. And, um, you know, I also think I learned to do things, you know, resourcefully on a budget. Um, I think it's important with the documentary films to be accountable to your investors or to the people that, you know, give you money even for foundations that mm-hmm. give you money to make the film that you come in on budget and that you're smart about how you're spending that money. And I definitely learned that um, from my work at NBC. Yeah, you are very and, good
1: um, at that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <You are. laughs>
2: That's part of the law and order.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. No. yeah. It, the, <laughs> I find that actually ship. one of the talent, most challenging parts for me mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Cause there's so much you always want to do. And then you want to be fair to everyone and, Yeah, everything costs money,
2: right? Right, and also teams of people. I mean, at NBC, and often it was under a deadline. You know, like running teams of people covering wars, covering earthquakes, covering um, elections. So the idea of working on a team of people from Kazakhstan where translations were happening to Soho where edit was happening to Mongolia where the shoot was happening. you know, while that could be daunting, it wasn't something that I had. I wasn't, I was used to doing Mm -hmm. that. That was something that felt very comfortable, even if it meant waking up early and so I could speak to people in different time zones. Right.
1: Um, For me, yeah, my background is in more commercial uh, branded content and short form documentary work. And I've, I made more films outside of the country in foreign languages than I had here in the U.S. So I wasn't really... I should have probably been more daunted, <laughs> more phased by the idea of going to Mongolia in retrospect. I, I definitely should have been. But um, I, I, I'm used to working with through translators, mm-hmm. with real people to elicit emotive stories. Um, I think the other thing I learned from the commercial world is high production standards. Mm-hmm. You know, they give you... I never made the you know million dollar, 30 second Super Bowl spots it was often, I was often taking a, a corner of that budget, a little clip of it, and um, and and being allowed to go off and experiment and make documentary style work. That said, I wasn't allowed to compromise the commercial production standards. You know, mm-hmm. that, that brand, that client, they still want it to look damn good. They still want it to look polished and beautiful. So I spent, you know, seven or eight years directing short form stuff on, on smaller budgets And figuring out ways to get that polished uh, premium look Mm -hmm. and that we brought a lot of that to this production you know whether it's Simon Niblett and his bag of tricks you know his wonderful drone work and his his cranes and all of those things that give you that big cinematic look but with you know two or three people
0: we did talk a lot about the the shooting yeah. process when we met at TIFF, but I hadn't made that particular connection. It makes a lot of sense that you have that sort of commercial standard of visuals, yeah. And it shows in the film. You don't look like someone who just. It doesn't look like someone picked up a camera to make their first doc. It looks like someone has high quality production well, experience. Yeah. I think
1: you know, just because something's true, it doesn't mean that it can't be beautiful. Right. You know. Right. I d- and 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 honestly, I think. You've, especially with somebody as compelling and beautiful and I think important as Ashle Pan you damn well better make it look good mm-hmm. it sh- you know you, you should do justice to that I, I reject the idea that pure documentary should be grainy and rough and it doesn't have to be that way I understand that circumstances sometimes demand that and dictate that it, it, it is that way Sure, but it, it's that doesn't define a documentary
0: career-wise again you mentioned Otto. you're juggling still with your full-time job mm. and stacy i mean every time i look up she's working on another project
2: I've so, a lot more coming. I mean, it's
0: it's so impressive and kind of intense so how do you guys juggle it how do you how do you have one project in mind while you're working on another one Or two or three projects or do your day job and do your night job and how
2: do you manage it all and your families i think it's about having strong teams of people it's working with putting together a strong team i mean i have two films right now in production um that will come out next year and just working with you know really good editors really good directors i think you can I don't like to have multiple films at the exact same stage, but one of them is really far along in edit. One of them, we're putting together a sizzle reel to go out and sell the project. So this is coming out. So there are three different films at three different stages. So I think it, for me, um, I do want to have a career as a documentary filmmaker. And I think that to have a sustainable career, you have to work on multiple films at one time and you have to have a lot of balls in the air. And, you know, have some things you're developing with a longer plan, and um, it's a juggle. But again, I mean, I I feel really lucky to be able to do this, and I love what I do, and I have two young children, and often I work from home, so I get to be there when they walk in the door if I'm not on location in Mongolia with Otto. (laughs) And, um, you know, just that check-in and being able to have a more flexible schedule. Um, Certainly, it's when I was in news, I didn't have that as much, Mm -hmm. so I really, really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I— I actually recommend juggling things mm-hmm. because honestly, I think it keeps you fresh. Mm-hmm. I think it, and it also concentrates the mind. I often wonder what it would have been like if this had been all I was thinking about. I think I would have been unbearable. Mm-hmm. I think it would well even more unbearable. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I didn't see anything. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's it, you know when you when you when you switch from from day job to this you know passion project you're focused on all right what do we have to get done you know we have this amount of time i i can only give this amount of time to it what's important let's cut to it and i and i find that very helpful and same when you when you go back to work as well it's like well i've got to get through x y and z so i can get to warrior poets and see where the guys are at Mm -hmm. and i and i find it yeah i think it keeps you you're fresh I, I can't imagine I would maybe you would just spiral I, I I fear I would spiral into almost an obsessive you know too close can't see the wood for the trees sort of perspective mm-hmm. if if I was solely absorbed by a single project
2: you know I, I just want to chime in I think what Otto was saying too in terms of having strong teams like we did have warrior poets behind this um which is great um And for me, I'm working on another project with them. Um, I've worked on a few films with Lena Dunham and Jenny Connors' production company, A Casual Romance. I've worked with HBO. So having all of those big-name people behind you and behind your projects, I will say, really helps to be able to juggle lots of different projects. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like, checks and balances and smart people that are weighing in on decisions. That's very true. I think that that's really key. Like, when you know, for me, like, I think a huge key to my success has been those partnerships mm-hmm. and like while I'm an independent producer and company of one it's really about the power of collaboration yep
1: yeah. I, d- I definitely learned throughout this whole thing that there is no heroism in trying to make a film alone mm. you, you the quicker you can surround yourself with a a, a shield wall of people
0: of who warrior believe. poets for example
1: <laughs> yeah well and, and Sharon and Stacy particularly mm. you know to have People, and there's validation in it as well. You you realize you're not crazy, that, mm-hmm. that you do have something. Mm-hmm. And people are every bit as willing and every bit as committed as you are and care just as much. And once you assemble that, you, you know, you become unstoppable.
0: So I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are all over the world and not necessarily in New York or connected in any way are saying,
2: totally, that sounds great. How do I find those people? What would you say to them? I always get asked that at film festivals also. I mean, I said to this woman the other day, I spoke on this panel, and she raised her hand in the back, and she said, you know, I have, a, I think, a great idea for a film, and I don't, I'm not a filmmaker, you know, what should I do? And I said, well, there's four people on this panel, you should email all of us your idea, and... I'm sure we'll all look at it. And, you know, and and I think that that's part of it. I think when Otto reached out to Morgan with this story, they didn't really know each other Not at all. beforehand. So I think that we're all storytellers. We're all looking for compelling stories. I think that um, many people are accessible in this industry. And I also think it's a, a fairly low barrier to entry in terms of making your own film. Everyone has an iPhone with a with a camera and you can go and you can start recording Um, a story that you want to tell and maybe that's not going to be the footage that's going to end up in the final film but if you have access or you have a story or talent that no one else has any number of these people will be interested in it Mm -hmm. so if you can just show your proof of concept um, it can get you quite far and I feel like every year there are films that come out that are from people who aren't filmmakers that just have a very powerful story to tell.
1: And look it's not about getting HBO's and Morgan Spurlock and all these, you don't have to have a household name to, to, to make a film. You know, there's plenty of people who have uh, the skills necessary to get you to where you need to go, who are just as willing and just who, uh, who are just as eager to uh, club together. So you've got an idea. You'll find somebody who is at the same stage of their career, of their trajectory as you are in an edit room. Mm. You'll find the same person who all they want to do is go out and shoot with this new camera that they've saved or maybe they've bought on layaway. You know, there are there are for every producer. There is a cameraman. There is an editor. there, There are people who are just as eager to get going. So all you got to do is club together and find those people. And then, again, you you build your village and
0: you're unstoppable. Those are such encouraging words to wrap up on. Is there anything else that either of you would like to say about this film, The Eagle Huntress, or anything else you're working on and want folks to know about?
2: Well, this film comes out November 2nd in Los Angeles and New York. And then it will hit 50 cities between then and Thanksgiving. And it's coming out in the U.K., um, and France around the um, Christmas holidays and in many other places around the world. So I hope that many yeah. of these listeners will get a chance to see it no matter where they are.
1: Yeah, I do hope everybody gets inspired by Ashel Pan's story. It's a lot of the reason why we saw through this production, actually, is because we were inspired by her determination. It rubs off on you.
0: Absolutely. Well, congratulations and thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Otto and Stacy, for speaking with me. And thank you all for listening. The Eagle Huntress is opening in theaters throughout the US all month. To see when it's coming to your town, go to sonyclassics.com slash the Eagle Huntress. Please subscribe to the No Film School podcast where you'll hear more great interviews like this one every other Monday and our Indie Film Weekly News show every Thursday morning. We also invite you to visit nofilmschool.com to learn more about the craft of filmmaking.